Hey, what's going on, good people? It's Gardner Douglas, your Oyster Ninja. I'm here today with Rogue Oysters, or uh, Aaron and Taryn. Uh, they kind of rhymes. I guess that's why y'all got together, maybe, probably so. <laughs> Every little bit <laughs> help. <laughs> no doubt. So uh, Rogue Oysters is a small farm, you say, but when when, we, when you say small, I mean, how many oysters do you have? Uh, right now, we... Uh... We're trying to run a million seed this year, but last wow. year we ran 500,000. That's crazy. Kind of slowly built over the few years we've been doing it. Right, right. That's um, awesome. So just tell us about like Rogue Oysters, like the location, what type of oysters you have, uh, you know, where you serve. Well, we're on uh, the Northern Neck in Lancaster County, Virginia, on the Rappahannock River. Uh, the oysters are grown uh, in the main branch of the river. They're known as a, a sweeter oyster. We run about 12 to as high as 18 parts per thousand with salt, which is, we tell people loosely half of what ocean salt is. It's a, a sweeter oyster, but not too low. You still get a little salt in there. And then it's known for a kind of creamy texture and the Rappahannock is a little bit unique in the bakes. It has just a little bit of minerality come at the end. Mm -hmm. And uh, been growing that about three years. Um, and right now it's all direct to consumer. Um, we've been doing a little wholesale before that, um, trying to kind of get the crop geared up. So, so three years ago, like what made you decide, hey, let's start an oyster farm? So it, it went back, gosh, eight years. I don't know. I think something, that's how we got into oyster gardening. My grandmother has some property on the Rappahannock that was facing massive erosion issues. And we've been trying everything over years to battle it. and he and my dad kind of came to the point in research where they realized oysters were kind of a key to a healthy ecosystem um, and up to battling oysters because the, the SAV, um, submerged aquatic vegetation and underwater grasses essentially need oysters in order to survive and they help catch a lot of the sands that are shifting and kind of catch some of the wave break and whatnot. So um, they just decided that they were going to bring oysters back to the river, at least where we were, which is kind of naive now looking back. But, um, you know, so they, we started off with, you know, just a small cage full. And um, after a few years, we were raising 3,000 oysters, I think is what we got to with the, our little, like our garden. Um, we didn't have a clue what we were doing, but he knew he loved it. And we were living in Alexandria at that time working. I was working, I'm still working for a nonprofit for a trade association and he was working for a defense contractor and he came to me one morning and said, I don't want to do anything else. What do you say to your partner when they tell you your husband says, I, I can't imagine being in an office anymore. I want to do this full time. Um, and uh, like the crazy person I am, I went along with it. I did my research and found out it was a sustainable business. And um, it was good for the environment. We'd always kind of wanted to work together. Um, it wasn't enough that we lived in 680 square feet on top of each other, basically. We wanted to spend more time together. Little did we know. Um, so we, you know, it, it just seemed like it was a good fit. It was a business that I was going to feel good about. And he, he grew up on a hobby farm. Well, not grew up on a hobby farm. He spent his summers on his grandparents' hobby farm. Um, going out and working outside it wasn't necessarily wasn't a working farm but it kept him outside and busy and uh the office he, office life was just wasn't for him 
So, um, yeah, that's, you know, we started doing our research, I guess, around 2015, we started meeting people in the industry and going to events and learning and 2017, we finally had everything we needed to have all the research we needed. I was gonna say, we still didn't have all the leases we needed. It was kind of still a risk and a gamble um, to go out where we were, but I can tell you that in a second, that story, but we put our first oysters in. And at that point, we were, our first leases were in topping on the middle peninsula where Rappahannock River oysters is. My grandmother is actually the last of the topping. So we've, we're definitely like fortified um, in that area. So the idea that we ended up on the Northern Neck is just kind of crazy. And that's because another farm had um, applied for the grounds in front of my, my grandmother's property. So um, we, you know, kind of went on this venture where we went looking for lease or river bottom that had been claimed for leases and also we needed property where we could work near it and um aaron found an old marina that had been closed down online and they dropped the price a hundred thousand dollars each week for two or three weeks wow um right as my parents were looking for their own place away from my grandmother's because my family deserves its own reality TV show. So <laughs> putting a river between us sounded like a good idea. Um, so, and my dad has always, he's grown up in, on the Rappahannock and always had this kind of romanticized relationship with it. So um, for him, it was with the waterman in particular. Um, so for him, he just was dying to run this marina and, and be a part of the community with the watermen and, and support them. So um, he, they, my parents bought that and we helped them bring that back to life the first year while we kept planning back in, I guess that was 2015. Mm. So, and that was a mess. It had been closed for years. Um, Did you find any um, unique trinkets there? Oh gosh. Ah. It That's an understatement. It picked over pretty well. Well, still. Something useful, we'll say. That, we have a vice grip that's the size of my head, um, which we, because somebody had converted the, one of the boat repair shops to an auto body shop. So there was all sorts of weird, like this place has all sorts of weird character and whatnot, but I think there was an anchor we gave to a neighbor. There was a whole bait shop full of junk that's in storage. Um, but yeah, there's, there's unique stuff. I think it's actually said the whole boat yard itself is built on top of like old cars, mm. um, and wow. washing machines and stuff. They just did infill, um, which, you know, kind of causes problems now because it's not part of the natural order. So when you have a crazy tide, it's underwater. Wow. Um, okay. but, but it's in the vicinity of where we ended up applying for leases. So when I started, we, we were going to Topping, and it was, you know, anywhere from 35 minutes to 45 minutes every weekend, because we started doing it on a part-time basis, just driving from Alexandria every week, because um, so we, we wanted to bootstrap it the best we could to be responsible and just take as little money out from the financial, from, and loans as possible, so we kept our full-time jobs and drove every weekend, and then we would be about a three hour drive Friday nights and a three hour drive back Sunday nights. Um, and you know, 10, 10 hour days were short days for the weekend. So we'd easily put in 
30 hours on the weekends before wow. the driving. It was, it was a long, it was a long time. And with those boat rides, especially in winter, 40 <laughs> minute boat ride when it's 20 degrees outside is brutal for 40 minutes. Um, but we ended up, we were waiting on leases we'd applied for back in 2015. Mm -hmm. um, they'd been protested by folks that were afraid that we were going to come in and um, put floating cages out and destroy their view and prevent them from using the water for recreational purposes. And that was a process in its own. I yeah, what, what helped to change their mind? Like far as like the spread to worry, like, Hey, we're not here to make things ugly. We just want to be sustainable and do something sustainable. Uh, some of it was just a education. It's explaining what we're doing explaining the gear types, explaining not all oyster farms look the same. Did, hold on, first of all, um, did you go talk to him? Because I could kind of see maybe a little some scare tactics or something. <laughs> <laughs> he was still working for a defense contractor back then. Still, so it was a little... I was presentable at the time. It was a little, yeah. A little <laughs> um, uh, they, we made some mistakes early on. We applied for leases that were massive, the actual, like max size at 250 acres, which there are any folks that are considering um, starting an oyster farm now, whatever you do, do not apply for massive leases. Try and just go for what you need so you don't scare people. Um, but we, we did, I think we had some people reach out to us that we talked to, but we initially we, we didn't um, reach out to folks. And I think it just depends on the community you're in and how you know people, what's going to be the most effective. But ultimately we, we now prefer to be as communicative as possible and transparent. Um, it's backfired uh, on wow, the okay. lease we had. So the first yeah. lease, I think ultimately we just had to go to a hearing with BMRC, who who is the controlling body agency over Red River Bottom in Virginia, and um, the commission ultimately sided with us on that. Um, but then the upland property owners over there um, decided to take VMRC over to court, to court over it. Um, and because they didn't believe that, what was it? There was enough information to make a, a proper judgment. It was not, so we, we thought we had this victory and then found out that they were taking a VMRC court. My dad had been named um, and all of a sudden it's a legal battle. And, um, oh. So all this was because you were being transparent and, you know, just trying to be open or? No, at, at that point we weren't. At that point that was, we, we hadn't been, we were transparent and open, but. The, um, when we were starting the lease process, yeah. you know, we asked her, how do you do this? We talked to some folks um, that kind of handle it, some folks in the industry. And at that time, oyster farming wasn't, um, it was still, Still real new to people that were right, new. right. Some farms been there for a while, but about 2017 is when somehow it kind of just blew up and it got on everybody's radar and everyone got rush. real. Uh, yeah, everyone got real afraid of what that meant if there was an oyster farm near you. Yeah. So anytime a lease popped up, it's just automatic, um, and that's still going on now. Everything just gets protested really much regardless of what's going on. Right. So we'd applied thinking there wasn't going to be a big deal because it hadn't been a big deal. 
And we figured we'd apply for something big. VMRC would pare it down. We'd get what we needed and move forward. Yeah. But that's not how things worked out. So a lot of it was people saw a big lease, assumed we were going to be some giant corporation coming in, taking over the river or something. And so part of that was catching up on messaging, trying to let people know what we're doing, who we are, what's going on. And some people listen, some people need to see it first. Um, so after that, we tell people, hey, we're going to apply for this. This is what we're doing. This is right. our other lease if you want to take a look at how it looks. Right, right. right. And some people are cool with that. Some people right. aren't. You so know. It wasn't so much when I say we were, we were transparent. We weren't proactive. And we've become proactive. That's the difference. Mm. Um, and I think that was a big part of it was the first folks, you know, early on, they didn't know what to expect. They just saw that, you know, other oyster firms had floating cages and, you know, what's to stop us from doing that. So there was a lot of education, a lot of, a lot of conversations at that point, once we'd with, um, gotten into the point where the community knew what was going on and we had our, our first lease. Um, and it, 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 it was, I think ultimately a good lesson in kind of PR, but also in character and ethics. We like, it was important to us that people knew we were going to be good neighbors um, and that we meant it. And I think that's been the best PR lesson is, is authenticity really makes a huge difference because we've done everything we said we would do. We've made compromises that were not great for us, but they were good for the community. Um, and we, you know, we didn't, we, we did it. Like I said, we stuck to our word. So um, authenticity has been a, a really important part of our, our journey. Um, so, but I mean, it, crazy things like neighborhood associations being formed to fund legal battle, the legal battle. Um, and oh. then asking us to join <laughs> and help wow. pay the legal fees to fight us. That's nice of <laughs> That was, yeah, I mean, we were part of the community, so it was a, a kind offer. And we, I did, I think I offered to pay for their, you know, I was like, well, we'll pay the dues and we'll join because we do want to be a part of the community, but can you earmark it for copy paper instead right. of legal fees? <laughs> um, and I think that's been an interesting part of the journey. At that point, they said no. Um, and we kind of just, just went, went along with things we, we tried holding an open house so people could come and see what we were doing and answer questions. And I think at that point, nobody showed up because I think they were, the fear had started to die down and we'd already gone out at that point and said, Hey, we're, you know, you guys don't want us anything anywhere below a, a depth lower than five feet. We'll work five feet. That's, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I think, and now, now those same folks come to us for oyster seed, um, right. and we're, we're not in the business of oyster seed. I don't want to sell spat to folks, but we do want to be good neighbors. So we, we have that relationship we're growing and building. So it's, it's come a, come a long way. So what type of floats do you use? So we don't use floats at all. We use uh, bottom cages, so the okay. bottom cages. Mm-hmm. So um, the farm, when you when you ride by it, there's a couple of poles and some crab floats to mark lines, but it's all sitting on the bottom. Yep. Got you. So the biggest thing between uh, what you use and the floating is just one on top, one on the bottom. Uh, pretty much. Um, the cages that we use, the bottom gear tends to be a good bit larger. Mm-hmm. So the uh, we have a lot a lot less gear out in the water. Okay. The floats, depending on the size 
two to five floats make up one of the bottom cages we use. Yeah, um, but we're not, you know, it's, it has very little impact on people's view, um, which is a big deal. I understand that if you've spent a, you know, several hundred thousand dollars on waterfront property, seeing a sea of oyster cages isn't what you paid for. Um, I guess that makes sense. That, I, that, that was like my question, like, what's the biggest argument besides like, you know, seeing floats, I get that. But like, what is there another big argument like why we don't want an oyster farm near us or in our water? Uh, aside from <clears throat> aside from what it looks like, um, part of it is they're worried there's going to be a, a fleet of big ships out there working it. Yeah. And they're worried about how it's going to impact their ability to use the water. Yeah. So if it's uh, if it's floats, you know, you can't ride through the floats. But with the bottom gear, depending on the depth. Uh, most boats can get over that just fine. Yeah. And uh, those are the major ones, really. Well, it's, uh, what's the navigational impact? Um, what's the view? They call it view shed normally impact. And there are some legit um, environmental concerns, um, mostly to do with underwater grass. Nobody wants the grass to get hurt. So a lot of them are concerned about that. But BMRC at this point um, is pretty hard nose on an area that might even have grass. If it had grass for the past five years, they're not interested in letting anyone get we, on that. Right. So it it uh, becomes a non-issue, but it's one of the concerns that comes out yeah. is no one wants the ecosystem hurt by all this, which is fine because that's part of our point is. Right. Right, right, yeah. And there's, this. There's, there, there's growing talk that oyster farming could actually there might be a correlation between it like an improvement and i mean it with submerged aquatic vegetation showing up in different places. that that was my thoughts i i thought the same thing i thought uh the oysters promote you know water grass growth so they filter out the nitrogen from the water and other things sediments to help clear the water up which allows photosynthesis to occur so there's no i don't think there's there are studies yet that actually show correlation definitely not causation but there are definitely people who, who are, there's patterns emerging. Um, so there's, it'll be interesting to see the study um, that comes out of this in the future. And there's the other question with, in terms of the type of grasses, because in this case, where we are, we have what's called widgeon grass, which is fairly ethereal. It comes, it goes, doesn't do much for um, erosion control or, or managing the bottom, the river bottom. Um, there used to be, um, eelgrass in the Rappahannock and they never expected to come back but the eelgrass was actually had an impact a, a more permanent impact and a more beneficial impact on on the river bottom and the ecosystem so you know there's talk about what what does what's better for the environment though for the future is it what the oysters are doing or is it protecting this ethereal grass that comes and goes so we ultimately just want what's best for the environment because it, you know one that's why we got into it but if the water's not clean and the ecosystem's not healthy we can't really raise oysters either so i think people forget that sometimes we need a healthy ecosystem um to raise our oysters in even if they're contributing a major factor in contributing to it so we're not going to do anything that's going to damage or hurt the river right got you so what's a day like in the life of an oyster farmer? Like you, you start at what time? You end at what time? Uh, a good oyster farmer probably starts at sunrise. Um, I do that in the wintertime, so sunrise is like 7.30. Uh, got you. Uh, 
it's a little bit seasonal in the summertime. We try and get up and get out there as early as possible just to get a start on the day and, and beat the heat a bit. As in the summertime, you got your nursery running, you're trying to get your seed going up. So the nursery takes a few hours a day and then you've got the rest of the work you're trying to do. Um, everything's growing. So you got to get out there and keep up with splitting the cages. Uh, so you don't have cages getting too stuffed. You want to, you don't want overly dense cages and you want to keep them sorted out by size so you can track your inventory properly. And then there's hopefully regular harvesting going on. So mostly it's go out in the morning, grab some cages that you want to sort or split out, uh, take care of all that. Um, try and get done in the afternoon. So you have time to deal with the nursery and uh, sneak some pressure washing in there if you can. These are, yeah. They're... And then uh, you do it again. <laughs> what he's not saying is he gets up at between five, five thirty every morning. Um, yes. So they're, they're long days. Our summer days are the longest because you have the nursery in and certain things like t tumbling oysters can't be done um, during the winter because the oysters are kind of hibernating. So the energy they have is, is going to um, kind of just sustaining their, their sustaining themselves. So um, after you tumble them, their shells get chipped up and they have to exert energy to try and regrow in their shell and protecting themselves. So during the winter, if you do that, there's a pretty good chance they'll, they'll die. Like your, the mortality is gonna go, is definitely gonna shoot up through the roof. So there's a lot of stuff that can only be done, not a lot, but a lot of work, we'll say, that can only be done during the summer. So raising the, the juvenile oysters, tumbling oysters, the, the automated sorting of oysters using the tumbler. Um, so they does, it's not uncommon for Aaron to work for us to work 12, 12, 14 hour days. Nice. Thankfully, um, we hired our first part-time employee. So oh, he's, he's making it a little, the days a little bit shorter. How old, how old is he? Is he a young jitterbug or is Absolutely. he a... Absolutely. <laughs> he's going much younger than me to handle some of this stuff. <laughs> so uh, you talked about tumbling and a lot of people ask me about tumbling and they're amazed when I even, you know, talk about tumbling or, you know, doing that. Can you tell the listeners, um, why tumbling is so important. Sure. Uh, so tumbling serves two purposes. One is to shape the oyster, one is to sort it out. So the same machine will do both. Uh, the actual act of tumbling is important because the oysters in the summertime particularly are growing so fast, you want to get on top of that and knock off that new growth to slow the growth down a little bit, make sure they're growing in a good shape, um, which is just like pruning a shrub or something. You know, it's growing a little weird. You chop off a bit, shape it up a little bit, uh, knocking that bill off also forces the oyster to put energy back into itself and to grow in a thicker shell. So you're causing the oyster to grow uh, a deeper cup ultimately, and you're keeping the that meat to shell ratio looking good. Um, it, then it also gets into, uh, controlling some of the, what we call fouling, uh, the muscles, barnacles, things like that. You want to try and keep down. And then the sorting bit, you want as best you can to have the same oysters, the oysters the same size in the same cage as you can. Uh, mixed size oysters will lock together, just like just like gravel. Mm, okay, I didn't know that. Oysters. 
your oysters get hard packed in your cage, they're not getting the flow, they're not growing or they're growing into each other. So oysters the same size won't, won't jam up quite the same way. And you need to thin these things out anyway. But that tumbling most important is shaping that oyster up and then hardening that shell up. You don't want to shell breaking in half when you're shocking. That's, you know. Nobody <laughs> likes that. Oh, for sure, for sure, yeah. no doubt. You go from the hinge and then all of a sudden it breaks right into the uh, adductor muscle area, you know? Yeah. I no. definitely know what you mean. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you just answered it, but I was going to ask, like, um, the difference between uh, when you're splitting the cages, the difference between having too many oysters in and not having enough oysters in the cage. Uh, too many is uh, they're competing against each other at some point. So you got the cage too full. Um, one is the water's not flowing through there the same as it would if you had a, a properly stocked cage. So you're going to have some of the oysters on the outside of the cage are going to grow big. The ones in the middle aren't going to grow at all. Um, if, it's, if it gets bad, you'll just start having mortality in there. And too few oysters, it kind of depends on where you're growing and what your gear is. It's not inherently a bad thing but you've got a cage out there getting dirty that you've got to clean later for less of a reason. Mm -hmm. so you gotta, in our case, if I've got a cage out there with 200 oysters in it, that's, there's no point in doing that. That's just a more stuff I got to deal with. We're always balancing efficiencies, trying to be as efficient as possible without um, compromising the product or the oyster. I shouldn't call it a product. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so why should people be uh, buying, eating, farm-raised oysters? Oh, this is one. Aaron's great at this one. Am I? <laughs> uh, so farm-raised, uh, the, the ultimate benefit is you're taking pressure off of wild stock. Um, the, a lot of the, the problems in the bay come from overfished oysters. Um, they aren't providing the ecological benefit that they, they should be. Um, that has to do with water cleared, but also habitat for other animals. Um, if you like blue crabs, you should eat farmed oysters. Is you're tearing up habitat for blue crabs when you scrape up wild oysters. Um, farmed oysters also, when we put them in, it doesn't take any resource from the bay to do that. Really, they take some brood stock, but we put them in, and we only take out what we put in. So there's no there's no effect really on wild stock whatsoever, unless you're growing dips, in which case you benefit the wild stock. The, and the, the part that's coming out now, they're really working on the numbers now, is the nitrogen removal. Is, uh, so we put in X number of oysters or harvest X number of oysters and oysters filter X amount of water a day, but they also absorb nitrogen. Awesome. So when you, and phosphate, important. Yeah. <laughs> so when you take that oyster out and you eat that oyster, you literally help remove nitrogen and phosphate or phosphorus from the river or the bay, wherever you got your oysters from. Um, that benefit exists in wild stock as well. But with farm raised, it's just a, uh, it's a zero impact. There's no negative impact whatsoever on, on wild stock for sure. And there's at worst, any study is showing a, a neutral impact with the farm being in the river. Yeah. Um, flavor profile is a little bit different too. They come from the same river, but the, a farm-raised oyster from a taste perspective is going to just be a little bit more crisp and clean tasting. 
because it's not been sitting on the bottom in the mud or whatever else it might be in. <laughs> cool, thank you. And I guess, and you, I think you answered this also, but um, I guess that's what makes oysters so sustainable because it's, it's low impact, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the oyster, you don't need to feed it. You don't need to fertilize it. You just put it in there. It does its thing. It, uh, it's not taking anything that an oyster wouldn't take out of the river on its own. And just, I think any, uh, any farm will show you the habitat that their particular farm setup creates um, just with uh, the amount of fish and other things that live around the gear and uh, grow on the gear, um, things that show up on the farm that weren't there before. Right, that's what I was gonna ask. Like, so what's been the biggest changes in where your oysters are growing now from when you started to now? Like, you know, more wildlife or just the clarity of the water? Uh, so right now, uh, cause we're in the main branch, there's a massive amount of water moving past the farm. So our farm's not gonna have a, a clear spot around it. But the, uh, so where we are, we're beyond the grass line and before the shelf where it drops down for where you find wild stock. So there's really just, there's nothing there. It's just sandy bottom. It's kind of like a desert. But with the farm there, that attracts a lot of wildlife. So you get little tiny mud crabs, uh, grass shrimp, uh, a lot of little, which you might call just a, just feeder fish, which brings in larger fish. So you get a, in the summertime when we're out there pulling cages, you'll get a, a pot of a striped bass, a little rockfish, schooling under the cage because they're catching everything that's falling out of the cage. And they've been sitting there hunting around the cages just with all the little critters that are growing and using the cage as a home. Um, so every time you pull a cage on the boat, you try and leave it hanging over the river for a little bit so as many eels and crabs fall out of it before you put it on the boat as possible. Oh, wow. But uh, there's just a, a large number of animals that use the cages as a refuge and a home. And then all the things that eat those critters circle around the cages. And so it's just a, uh, there's a lot of life right there where there really wouldn't be anything otherwise. Right, so, and you said um, something about the, the wild stock. Is it, uh, do you have like wild oysters in your area? Yeah, for us, um, we're in, uh, I think it's zone seven, but uh, the public grounds take up most of the river. The the rocks that exist right now, the reefs that exist right now are on the other side of the river from us. Um, but they're there, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, much depleted, but they're still around. Yeah, you'll okay. see everyone's well. We'll have oysters that'll strike on our oysters, so. Right. <laughs> they're looking for a place to live. It's just yeah. a lot less shell out here than it used to be. Right, but we're, we're trying to work on that as well. So we are trying to, one of our mission, part of our mission is to build reefs as well. So to kind of help to regenerate that wild, um, wild stock too to give back. So we've identified a spot. We're talking to another to a nonprofit um, about potentially working together to build that reef. Um, we've already started a reef project on a lease my family has um, off my grandmother's property mm -hmm. um, to try and try and kind of build back the ecosystem there where it had been before. So um, it's it's really important to us that we give back. The Rappahannock has been such a vital part of my, my family's history. And our, it's, it's where we come together. Um, and it's where we got engaged. It's where we got married. It was right there with the rap in the background. Um, so it's just something we want to see protected and taken care of. So being a part of that is 
I don't know. It's become just part of who we are at this point. What goes into building um, a reefer? What what would that look like? Um, you know, getting a reefer project. Depends on the it project. De depends a bit on where they're putting it. Um, in general, it's dropping a massive amount of shell somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, there are some different structures. Um, some of the states and agencies have gotten into um, where they're they cause some of them are reef balls or oyster castles, uh, things like that, um, depending on the type of bottom they're working on. Um, so some of them near shore, they might use some of the, the smaller concrete structures to help slow the water down, give the oysters a chance to not get silted over before they get started. Uh, some of it in a protected area is literally just a lot of shell put down um, where you know there's going to be a strike just to give the oysters that base to start on. Um, sometimes people use the spat on shell where they they get the shell, they put it in a tank, and they put the larvae in so it strikes, and then they put it down so they know they're getting a, an initial crop more or less come up. Um, so it depends a bit on where, but in the end, it takes a lot of shell. So uh, everybody recycle your oyster shell, please. It, uh, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. It does go back in. It does yeah. do some good. Right, it does. And the, I mean, we're basically, every time you put the shells back in, you're putting the calcium back in the water that the oysters need to build their shell. So it's a... Uh, there's kind of a calcium deficiency that I keep hearing about. I, I haven't looked at peer reviewed studies, but I'm told there's a calcium deficiency. So we need to put as many shells back oh. in as possible. Well, that gets us to ocean acidification. Yeah. <laughs> Man, please talk about ocean acidification. Y'all listen to the podcast, right? Yeah. Man, so when I heard about ocean acidification, I was like, man, why isn't everybody talking about it? It, uh, I mean, right now it's it's still more of a West Coast problem, but it's 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 identifiable on the East Coast. It's it's not really in the Bay yet, but it's uh, so basically the carbon gets in the air. The carbon doesn't just stay there; it sinks down into the water, and that acidifies the water. So the ocean is literally getting more acidic. The more carbon that we pump into the air, the more it gets into the water. The more the water absorbs. And that is a huge concern for shellfish because they all use calcium to build shells. And if they can't build a shell effectively, then they, they just don't make it. So a lot of the hatcheries have had issues with that because they, they need that larvae to strike and form that initial shell. And they just don't have the energy to fight a more acidic environment. So there's been a lot, of, a lot of concern and a lot of work done so far on the West Coast trying to mitigate that issue. And that's also why oyster reefs are important because they, they will act as a buffer, a calcium buffer. And underwater grass is also hugely important because they will suck up some of that carbon and they will act as a buffer. So it's, uh, there's, you know, good luck trying to stop all the carbon getting released. But <laughs> if you uh, put some shell in the recycling bin, or the oyster recycling bin, Right, right. <laughs> At no least that's something. Yeah. That's something. Climate change is a big deal for us. Um, it's been a, it's been a very big deal for us, but it's been hard for us. So we see we worry about, you know, the ocean acidification piece, but we also have for us, we put our first oysters in, in twenty seventeen and then in twenty eighteen Virginia had a record breaking rainfall season and some some very powerful storms that came through and that I mean not just like a record breaking season but the top 10 I think 
seasons before that differed by like a half an inch total or something. Some, I mean, something crazy. It was like quarter inches between years. Not a big deal. But this was six inches more rain than the second most rainy season we've ever we have had on record. And for us, that was a big deal because of both pollution and runoff, but also it dropped the salinity in the water um, to next to nothing. And oysters need their needs, you know, they can sustain some changes to the salinity, but when it rains for months <laughs> on end and the water, the salinity stays close to zero or at a low level, it'll kill the oysters. So for us, our crop from our young crop, we, we put oysters in the water in two rounds. So the second round from 2017 and then the first round from 2018, we lost 80% basically of both years of our oh. of our first two years crops um because they were just couldn't keep up with the change to the ecosystem and that was all it's just fresh water is you know what you're thinking about rain is just fresh water but it's there's it's you go back to butterfly effects and chaos theory and they all have you know there's interdependencies and in everything in, in in the environment so you have these massive rains but there's runoff that comes from you know from the cities in the watershed where you've got pavement and there you can't capture it's not capturing what it should be capturing in the in, in the different forms of pollution and it goes into the water or um the salinity drops aaron this is aaron's baby um so he can talk to it at an end but it's you just never thought we never thought that we would lose the first our first two years crops to essentially at a very basic level of fresh water. So that was our first 100 year event. And now we're dealing with our second 100 year event. No <laughs> doubt. Our first three years. So. Aaron, Aaron, did you want to uh, add anything to your baby? <laughs> no, she, she covered it. It, uh, okay. it was bad. It was mostly the, uh, the storm events as related to the climate change piece is just the, the increased intensity of storm events. Yeah. So we had, Two events that rained over five inches and one was I think 10, 10 to 12 inches in, in one day. day. And that's just too much. It's just it all flows right into the right into the bay. Um it doesn't matter if it's coming from the Rappahannock or the Huskahanna, it's it's coming. Right. And that's the hard part. It's a tidal water, it's a tidal estuary. So, you know, it's it comes and goes every day, <laughs> twice a day. And it takes a while to actually work out of the system because it's coming from upriver, downriver, and back, back up from the bay, back up river. So, it takes what? How long does it take to move the water through the river again? I don't know, but it took till June of nineteen to get some salt. That's, yeah. that's all I know. Wow, man! It also that's... impacted the oysters, the hatcheries, in the next year. So basically, this one rainy season impacted two and a half years worth of inventory. Right. Man, that's that's well. Yeah. So let, let's talk about some positive stuff, man. Um, <laughs> yes. So what what are like some of the best compliments you've got from people eating your oysters? Any stick out? We hear, you know, it, people tell us the best oysters they've ever eaten frequently. So it kind of. I try to let it go to my head, yeah. but I don't, I don't. Obviously, I don't. I don't argue with them. Right. About right. It. But I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, that's, we've moved to direct sales and we, part of why we like direct sales is getting that, you know, you're getting that oyster in their hand as quick as it can be gotten to them. 
And so they're getting the freshest thing. You know, you gave them what you wanted them to get. You, hopefully they shocked it well, but you know, right. you do what you can. That's the last and, piece. <laughs> yeah. And they, uh, you know, and, and they know who you are, you know who they are, you know, they, they'll give you that feedback. They'll talk to you about it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's real nice to, to hear back direct feedback like that. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of people, uh, they like that that mid salinity. They don't necessarily like that. I know some people, maybe yourself included, like yeah. that outside. They like that salt. I was and, born on the shore. I can't, you know. Not to convert you, and that's fine. Everyone's right, got right. going to wish that they like. Um, but I mean, the Rappahannock is a it's a good river. It's a clean river. It's got its own flavor profile. It's it's not too low in salt. It's yeah. it's a solid it's a solid oyster. Right. It's a, I think we we call it a like we're hearing more. It's a connoisseur's oyster too because it's you you get more than just the salt flavor to it. So you get to taste a little bit of like you get the minerality, you get the butteriness, a little bit of the creaminess. So it's it goes back to miroir and terroir. Like it's I guess terroir with wine and miroir with oysters. It's oysters are really impacted. Their flavors are impacted by where they're raised. And with the Rappahannock, you get to taste. You get to taste the wrap, as we say. Right, um, right. So, you, and like you, it's the different notes. I, I kind of laugh at, you know, when you go to a, a winery and they talk about it. <laughs> but with our oysters, you know, we do taste the different notes that are out there. So, but I think the best compliments we get, I think every oyster farm will get told at some point, these are the best oysters you've ever had. But we've got the best compliments. We've got regulars that buy from us every month. We do monthly drop-offs and they like, they're buying them, they're telling their friends, they're evangelizing. Um, and, you know, so that, I think that's really the best compliment is seeing people come back um, and, and telling, you know, being, becoming part of the, our little oyster family. We get pictures from them, from what they've like, what they've made that night with the oysters or, or how they shared them with their friends and their family. And like, it feels good to be a part of, of those moments. Also, I dig the idea of kimchi butter on oysters now that I would have never had. So um, <laughs> I heard of that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I neither, yeah. but get on it. Right. <laughs> kimchi butter. All right. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so did the pandemic um did it kind of rush you out there a little bit faster than you wanted to as far as like, you know, um direct to customer? Was that even in the thought process? It was uh we've been talking a lot about how we wanted this year to go and direct to consumer. We've always done a little bit, but we've never tried to push it. And that that gets into a story about inventory and stuff from the, the rain and whatnot. Right. But, right. So this year was gonna be mostly trying to get some, like anybody else, restaurant routes going and see what we could do with uh, Just kind of some your, direct to consumer stuff. Yeah, taking a traditional route and I think primarily focusing on restaurants though. So, yeah. um, the pandemic as hard as it's been um because it you know we're, we're sleep is is not something we get a ton of these sleep, what's um, right exactly i hear stories i hear stories but you know, we've had to do a lot and it's been in a lot of ways it's been a good swift kick in the ass that we needed um we and we we found a market that we love more than you know it's fun to take oysters to a restaurant and give them to a chef and hear that they're going to do something cool. But like I said, being a part of like 
them knowing that they're having these moments at home with their grandparents are coming together. And well, now we're hearing about virtual oyster roasts more so than people coming together, although they do. Um, I'm not, I'm not necessarily advertising and marketing oyster roast right now because I don't want to be liable for somebody spreading COVID, but, oh. um, but um, it's, it's good to be like, to see the smiles on people's faces and, and feel that. So it, and, but it's also, it's, it's, a, um, there's more work that goes into selling direct to consumers. It's had to teach us a lot about better business practices too. So, and you know, on, we got an online store up, I think. People have been wonderfully patient. Yes. yes well, we figured have. this out. Yeah. Right. This is probably the best time we've ever done this because people have nothing but time or used to have nothing but time, I guess it's opening up, but people have been patient and it's kind of the new world order um, where people are understanding and, you know, it was, it's been something, oysters were never something that were really, they were a luxury item you went to restaurants for. And I think you were raised on the shore um, in Maryland or in Virginia on the Tidewater. Like it's, they're, they're part of your, your heritage and your history and what you do, but in your culture, but not in Kansas. Right, right. Not even in Alexandria, and we have so many transplants um, out there. It's just there were the idea of eating oysters at home was a little daunting to people. So we've been able to educate people and, and bring help them bring them home. Um, and kind of, you know, part of our mission is to feed families. So the idea in that had been like our family and our employees' families, but um, and, and customers. But now it really is feeding customers' families. So it's, it's really cool. That's beautiful. Um, so why should people eat rogue oysters? I'm waiting. I'm told they're the best. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I assume it's enough. <laughs> um, We're, you're supporting a, a small, in this case, it's a small family farm that really wants to do good in the world. It's, become our mission, it's my personal mission and kind of the farm's mission to just leave the world better than we found it. Um, mm. So in doing that, it's it's taking care of people. We wanna pay employees a living wage. When we get to the point where we have that, give benefits, kind of create the archetype for what, um, a, a, you know, a good working environment for an oyster farm. Watermen, you know, are, are traditionally you go out there, you work, and you get what's available to you. But we want to make sure people know there's now a form of water, a, a waterman's life where you can have a comfortable lifestyle, where your family is going to be taken care of. And that also, um, we're going to do good for the environment. It's our, our goal um, that we're going headed towards to being um, carbon negative and climate positive. Um, so we've got solar lights right now is kind of where we started because it's what we can afford. Um, some and some trickle solar trickle chargers for our batteries and whatnot. But it's our goal to, to you know, create put out less carbon in the world or take more out. I don't know, I don't know the best way to put it, but to have a positive a net positive impact on the environment with what we do. So we'll be looking in as we can afford it. And it could be years. I don't, I don't want to promise people yeah. we're going to do something we can't afford because we, we can't tank yeah. the farm to do to do good either um, the solar boat's going to be a, but a solar years. yeah solar but boat. you know with elon <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i keep looking for electric vans with been space and they just don't exist 
Um, I'm four transits are supposed to be electric in the next two years, but I need a van in the next six months. So we'll, we'll see. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a company that's really tries, like I said, you're supporting a company that's trying to leave the world, but other than it found it and eating tasty oysters at the same time. That, that, that also counts. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's enough for me. I, I like, that was a good answer, honestly. So is there anything else uh, where, I guess uh, you can give your website or where we can find you, where people can find your oysters, how they can get in contact you, what area you, you, you're servicing? Sure. So we're in Virginia primarily right now. We do ship a little bit. On, we're piloting a shipping program. So it's a few shipments a week. But if you go to rogueoysters.com, um, you can learn more about us and then look at where we're going to be. We do. We're in a different different city almost every week with a community drop-off. So you can pre-order some oysters and um, also look for opportunities to learn more. Aaron has a great Facebook, Instagram feed where he's teaching people about the the, the Rappahannock River and the ecosystem and occasionally get to see video of dolphins. So <laughs> you should follow us on Instagram for that. Oh, perfect. Did, did we uh, tap everything you guys wanted to tap? I think so. It is a, it is a depressing story, Gardner. <laughs> so thank you for no, letting us be positive. Well, it, it's been, you know, it, we're, we've learned a lot. So um, this was, it's been hard, but it's been good. We've learned a lot. So um, I think so. Like we didn't get to grill you about anything. Yeah, that's true. Hey, I'm an open book. I'm, re I'm ready. I'm ready. I, mean, I just want to see you out there working on the weekends now. Yeah, so right now I'm uh, doing the, the uh, oysters on the half shell. And then some people have been requesting just, you know, oysters in the shell. I'm like, man, that takes all the fun away from me. You know, I just hand <laughs> you some oysters. That's not my thing. But, I mean, if that's what you want to do, okay. Hey, you know. Yeah, but, you know, like I tell people, man, you, I still got to pay my insurances. I still got to pay for storage. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't do my events. Or actually, some people have been calling me for events, but I'm not comfortable yet. I'm not sure. ready. It's, yeah. it's a little iffy. We yeah. had someone call us for an event, and we were just like, oh, sweet, money right now. <laughs> let's, let's take it. And then we started thinking. We're like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be in Princeton. <laughs> it's a festival, or they check like what's the deal it got canceled and we were very grateful right um so yeah i, I it's a good call partner <laughs> no doubt man. Yeah. safety first right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. before to get sick right well um, i appreciate y'all for um taking time out of your busy schedules farm life schedules hashtag and uh thank you uh i'm gonna be posting this soon Awesome. Oh, yeah. Appreciate awesome. you letting us get on here. Yeah. For sure.